Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Thank you. As Andy said, my name is Justin, and I have the pleasure, and I'm filled with gratitude to serve here as a high school pastor at North Point Community Church. Thanks for trusting me and my team with your students, those of you who have students in Inside Out. Uh, But today, and I realize we're going to shift gears a little bit in talking about this, today I want to serve as your guide to solve or help solve a problem, a problem that affects all of us every day. We can't hear it, we can't feel it, we can't taste it, we can't smell it, but it's there. It's here now among us. It's a problem that is probably going to cost you Facebook friends and Instagram followers and help you receive tons of subtweets. The problem that I want to talk about today is this, pyramid schemes. Okay, that's a test to see if you're awake. That is a joke. We are not talking about pyramid schemes. The culprit in question today is actually our thoughts. Hang on a second. Okay, guys in the back who are making all the plasma stuff happen, I just spent a little bit talking about how big an issue, how big a problem this actually is. Is there anything you can do to intensify the intensity of this idea? All right. (laughs) I get it now. Yeah. Our thoughts. Here's the thing about our thoughts is we're going to find out. Our thoughts are tricky little things. You know, we don't really know where they come from. But we receive them, and then we don't really always understand them, and then we don't really know where they go. It's an elusive little thing, but can cause a lot of chaos in our life and our relationship. They really have the power to tear husband from wife, or boss from employee, friend from friend, or parent from child. I mean, they're pretty powerful things. And so today, I want to press into it. Now, here's what I know about thoughts. I personally have, any given day, millions of random thoughts. Anybody else have random thoughts? And I thought since I have a microphone and you've showed up, I would share a few of my favorites with you today. Hope you're ready. Uh, A couple of months ago, we had this terrible storm. Some of you may remember which one. Maybe they named it. I don't know if it was that big or not, but we had this terrible storm and I was laying there at night and I was listening to the thunder and it was shaking the entire house. And I thought at any moment, this house is going to break open. And then I started thinking about what our insurance policy was and if it would cover the house. And then I got excited about maybe getting a new house, but I thought, what if I'm in the middle of the crack? And so I got back to the random thought that I got aside from, okay? And I began to think with this loud thunder and this bright lightning that was bright enough to navigate my house in the dark, I thought, I wonder what Adam and Eve thought when they were in the first thunderstorm, you know? I wonder if they were outside the garden, you know, God had already had them leave the garden and then they're like laying down, good night, good night, you know, did you turn the oven off? Yeah, I sure did. That's a joke because they didn't have ovens then. And so they lay down. And all of a sudden, bam, the thunder rolls and the lightning flashes in the sky. And Adam jumps up and he's starting to freak out. And he looks at Eve and goes, what'd you do? And she's like, I didn't do anything this time. What'd you have for lunch? I had egg salad. You had egg salad? Would you have celery or grapes in there? What's a grape? It's a fruit, Eve. You ate another fruit, Eve. (laughs) Random thought. (laughs) Also random thought. Why is it that anything multiplied by zero is zero? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if I have a peck of apples, all right, and I multiply my peck of apples by an empty bucket, I still have a peck of apples. 
I feel like somewhere a mathematician in Greece was trying to rip somebody off. And they're like, no, man, anything times zero is zero. And we've all just believed it. Why is that? Another random thought. Why has nobody made Ariana Grande a font yet? I even scheduled in there, give it a second for that joke to land. So there we go. And there's the rest of you. Perfect. So due to all these random thoughts that I have, I went to my wife. He said, I think I need a brain scan, to which she immediately agreed without hesitation. So I got my brain scanned, okay, in preparation for today. And it was fascinating, everything that they showed me in this brain scan. And they explained it to me piece by piece so I could understand thoughts better. And I could understand where these random thoughts come from and how they affect our life. And so I brought my brain scan here today, the actual brain scan from the lab. And I want to kind of walk you through the process to help you understand as well. Here it is. Okay, this can be kind of complex, so I want to walk you through it, all right? When we receive a thought, first it goes to the observation officer, okay? He's the guy that says, all right, thoughts come on in, you this way, you that way. And if the thought makes it past the observation officer, then it gets to the drama dragon. And the drama dragon's job is to take that thought and fire up the drama as much as he possibly can. So once it leaves the drama dragon's lair, it goes to the distraction dinosaur, Not much gets past the distraction dinosaur with me, as you've seen so far. He devours any thought he can get his hands on. But every once in a while, that thought sneaks past the distraction dinosaur and gets to the irrational ions, all right? This is where we pick up a lot of our irrationalities around thoughts and ideas. There's tons of irrational ions in all the minds in this room. And when your brain has that thought reach the irrational ions, it picks up enough of those and it pours it into the chaos volcano. And when it gets enough irrational ions, the chaos volcano explodes, sending your life in total disarray. That's how a brain works. It's science, okay? But here's what you need to know, especially if you live in Georgia. There is something that will bypass all of these other things and send you straight from the observation officer straight to the chaos volcano and have your neighbors think you're crazy. And it's this. (laughs) Y'all got these at your house? Everybody watching from outside of Georgia, we're under attack. Okay, we've been infiltrated by this beast. If you're watching in the future, this is what happened to us. Okay, they took over. We've been destroyed. The reason this gets to the chaos volcano immediately is because these little critters build their webs across all the paths at your house and you're just walking along having a great day and that thing wraps around your face and now you just got to get it off at all costs. And the neighbors are watching. You're like, what happened? This chaos volcano went off. Yeah, this spider. Anyway, I had my wife's brain scanned as well, unbeknownst to her and without her permission. And I brought that along, too, to compare and contrast. (laughs) Yeah, not surprising. I don't know why you laughed. They say x-ray adds 20 pounds. Sorry, dear. But anyway, we're having fun with the thoughts idea today, but I I want that to be because it can be a really serious, hard issue to talk about. And so I wanted us just to have a second to laugh at ourselves. And I love to laugh at myself. It makes life easier. But I do want to talk and get into this idea of thoughts a little more in-depthly. And here's what I love about the content that we're talking about today, okay? Whether you're a person that puts your faith in science or you put your faith in a savior, I have taken the content I'm going to talk about. I've taken the problems that it brings up, and I've brought the solutions that I'm going to suggest, and I held it up against the science world through science journals and medical journals and things like that, and the content held up. 
So if you put your faith in science, you are gonna have something to walk out of here with today. If you're somebody who put your faith in a savior or scripture, I held it up against that too. And I found that it holds up in that realm as well. So no matter what your faith structure is today, what you believe, hopefully we are gonna identify this problem and bring you to a better solution. Now, speaking of science, I did some science research on what happens to a thought, what what the process really looks like. And here's what I found from one doctor. And this is called TFAR, which stands for Thoughts, Feelings, Actions, Results. The process that our brain tanks takes, overly simplified, so that you can understand kind of the way this all happens. You have a thought, you observe something, it becomes a thought, and then over time, that thought develops a feeling in you, the thing that you feel, the emotion that you're recognizing. And that emotion typically drives our actions, causes us to do something, and in result, we stand with the results of our actions. Here's what I found was interesting as I read this article. It said that most Most of our results serve as a self-fulfilling prophecy to our thoughts. So even if we were off in our thinking, by the time it results in whatever action it brought forward, it fulfills its own prophecy as if the thought were true. And that's an issue. And that's more directly the issue I wanna talk about today. And for today, we're gonna live right here between our thoughts and our feelings. Because I think the lines get a little blurred and it gets a little gray between these two more than the rest. And so I wanna really make this even simpler for you today as we're navigating it because it's important that we understand it. I want you to understand if you're feeling it, you've been thinking it. So whatever feeling you walked in today with, positive or negative, if you're feeling that feeling based on science, it means you've been thinking it already. Now, here's the thing about feelings. Feelings are great indicators of emotions. They're great to kind of process how you're doing. They're terrible compasses for life. And so for today, we have to keep straight the two. And here's a simple way I found to kind of differentiate them. Feelings are like a thermometer. Feelings are the thing that tell you how you're doing. Feelings are the thing that raise the red flag when the red flag needs to go up. And thoughts are like the thermostat. What we're gonna find is our thoughts are actually setting the temperature of the rest of ourself. But it's not always fun in culture and media or helpful to think about them in these terms. I think sometimes based on what I see on TV and hear on the radio, we like to leave the lines blurry because feelings sell more than thoughts. Think about it this way. All the movies that have been made, especially the rom-coms and dramas and things like that, they don't go after your thinking. They don't require you to think much about it. They just want you to sit there and feel. Think about the notebook and how all of us thought, oh, if only he loved me as Noah loved her. You know what I mean? All the feelings with that. Or a great example of a show that completely ignores thinking and goes after feeling, The Bachelor. Maybe you've seen this. They even help them turn their thinking off at times. And we see feelings just completely on display. And it's maybe no more prevalent than in our music industry. Because you have these artists who are leaning into their feelings, which isn't always a bad thing or it isn't a negative thing. But they're leaning into these feelings and we are resonating with a similar feeling inside of us. And that's how we pick what songs we want to listen to. And the industry knows this. And so they're continuing to cultivate feelings out of their music. They close their eyes. They tap their foot. They want to feel it. Imagine if Elton John went to his record label, said, good day, mate. I've got no idea. And in this scenario, he's Australian. But imagine if Elton John went to the record label and said, hey, I got a song, listen, it goes like this. 
don't go break in my mind. They'd be like, no deal. That's a weird song. We don't resonate it. Where Bonnie Tyler says, total eclipse of the mind. No one's gonna resonate with that as much. Or maybe my favorite, Billy Ray Cyrus. We all love him. He comes out and says, don't break my mind, my achy breaky mind. Somebody already has. But anyway, <laughs> we wanna resonate with the feelings and that's what kind of gets us involved and emotionally invested in the things that we Love, But today, we're gonna try to differentiate our thoughts from our feelings, figure out what is at the source, and then decide together what to do about it. And there was maybe no better place to look than in uh, the book of, uh, of Ephesians. So that's in the Bible. So this is the part I kind of took up against scripture. And everything that I looked into, I'll show you along the ways where it's applicable to the science world, because the two were so intertwined, I couldn't separate them. And what I love about the book of Ephesians is is some of the things that Paul does as a writer, his writing style in this book. And so as we read the first three chapters of Ephesians, what we see is that Paul is super specific in the pronouns that he uses. And if we pay attention to the pronouns, the first three chapters set us up for a framework for the rest of the book, for the rest of the letter. This is something that he did throughout many of his letters. But as you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, here's what you'll find. Paul starts out, by using pronouns such as us, our, we. And he's talking about God's relationship with his chosen people. He's referring to a narrative of God partnering with Abraham and establishing this Jewish nation, these chosen people. And so in his letter, all of the Jewish people of Ephesus would have recognized Paul is talking to us, those chosen by God, those on the inside. But then Paul shifts his pronoun use to be you, your. And we see that Paul is using completely different pronouns to address a different group of people who would have been the Gentiles. But he's using very inclusive language. Your invitation to be sons and daughters of the living God. So what Paul is doing is differentiating that there are two different groups in this church. And this church was doing really well. It was made up of a lot of ethnicities and nationalities. But the focus of this letter was the idea that there were two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, who were struggling to have unity in the church. And so Paul makes that dichotomy with his pronouns, but then something really fascinating happens. He switches again. And the pronouns he chooses to use are really inclusive. It's we, but now he is including both Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying things like, we, are, we have been established in a new humanity because Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth. And it's interesting, you know, Andy brought up the mission of this church, which is to inspire people to follow Jesus because Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth and everyone is invited to participate in it. It's funny to me that the principle we're gonna look at is the thing that Paul used to unify a church that was divided by their differences and their backgrounds to unify them into a new humanity under one kingdom with a new administration and a new set of values. And here we fast forward to the 21st century and we're gonna look at the exact same principle to do a very similar thing to unify us here as a new humanity in the kingdom of God. And so we get through those first three chapters. We understand there's a unity problem in the church of Ephesus. We understand that Paul is here to unite people under a new humanity. And we're gonna start in chapter four and look at how he goes about doing that. And my hope is that we'll take this principle and not just establish a way to have unity with each other, but a way to alter the course of your life. Here's what he says. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So what Paul is recognizing here is there was an old self. 
But now through Jesus, there's a new humanity being established with, with Ephesians actually says, which is taking two and through Jesus making them one. Paul is recognizing this old self, this old self that would have identified as Jew or Gentile that would have kept the, the, the separation alive. And he's, he's identifying it. Hey, this old self that I'm referring to, you want to put that off. You want to take that off because it's not, it's not your best life. And the reason that we know that is by this line right here. It's been corrupted by your deceitful desires. Real quickly, for those of you who aren't familiar with the narrative, I want to back way, 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 way up and talk about what he's making reference to here. In the Garden of Eden, God made man and he made woman, Adam and Eve. And he made total perfection in the garden. And then one day Eve is out there and God had communicated, all this is for you to enjoy with the exception of one tree with a certain fruit. Just please don't eat from that tree. Pretty easy, right? But Eve is out there in the garden one day. She's by the tree and a serpent, the devil, the enemy, Satan, whatever name you prefer, comes to Eve and he tempts her by simply placing one little lie inside of her thought process. Well, that lie grows. The lie is that God doesn't want you to eat from this tree. He doesn't want you to be like him. And it grows and grows and grows. And that feeling of maybe pride grows in her to where she now eats the fruit and gives it to Adam. He eats the fruit. Sin enters into this equation, shatters this ideal and perfection. And then we fast forward through generations and we see a wake of sickness and destruction that follows that sin all the way to today. But because of that, we're all born with this deceitful desire that's a part of our old self. Paul is saying we need first and foremost, step one of this principle is to take off that old self. And here's how he proposes to do it. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, this, this caused me to hit pause in the preparation process a little bit. Because, you know, what I kind of expected growing up in the church and hearing lots of talks, a lot of heart language, a lot of emotions, things like that. What I expected him to say was to be nude in the attitude of your heart, to change your heart. You've got a heart condition. But Paul is intentionally pointing out the thing that needs to be made new is the attitude of your mind. And he goes on to say, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it all kind of connected the dots for me when I thought about the word repent. Paul is saying we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds in order to put on our new Self. Now, this word repent, we, we're all familiar with it, and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. One of my favorite uh, translations of the word is to change your mind, to shift trust from yourself to Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is through Jesus, we can have a new self in this new humanity, in this kingdom of God, which he's created, which is going to allow us to have this unity that he's trying to work towards. But here's the problem with new self. If you're like me, you will be tempted time and time again, to put off the new self when somebody hurts your feelings and put on the old self. If maybe not literally, then at least the way you conduct your life. To put off the things that are characteristic of God, righteousness and holiness, and to put on the things that you were once known for. And Paul is saying, hey, put off that old self and put on the new self. It would be like if you all of a sudden decided to return to your old iPhone 
One day you just said, you know what? This new one is too fast. It works too good. It's making my life too easy. I'm going back to my iPhone 6. And you pick up the iPhone 6 and you're frustrated with it all day and people are frustrated with you because you're missing calls and missing texts. You would never do that. You would never go back to a process or a method of operation that didn't work as well as something new, as something improved. Paul is saying, put off the old self, put on the new self by renewing the attitude of your mind being like God in righteousness and holiness. Now, I wanted to oversimplify this idea because being called to be like God in true righteousness and holiness is, is what it means to put on your new self. That's how people experience you. It changes the way you live your life. It changes the things you think about. It changes everything around you. So I want to oversimplify it, what this means today, basically this way. Righteousness is doing the right thing. Holiness is choosing to do it every day. This is what the new self looks like easy for me to say to all of you who showed up with all your different stories and all your your different experiences and wounds to just say, hey, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to make new the attitude of our mind. We're going to put all that stuff off and we're going to put all the new stuff on. Great. Let's all go home and get Kona ice on the way out or something like that. But I'm not going to do that because I realize an intense reality that Paul outlines in a few verses later where he says, do not give the devil a foothold. And this foothold that the devil has changes everything in this equation. All of a sudden, the difficulty of taking off the old self, putting on the new self, and true righteousness and holiness becomes way more difficult because the devil is relentless. And what the devil wants is he wants to establish a foothold by placing one single little lie, his method of operation has really never changed, in your head that will begin to be nourished and fester, turn into a feeling, which is then an action, which is then a result, and leaves you wondering, how did this happen? Leaves you looking in the mirror, thinking, I'm just my old self again. Now, for the longest time, I didn't know what foothold meant. Okay, I'll be honest. When I heard it as a kid, I thought not giving the devil a foothold meant when I jump out of my bed in the morning, He's waiting for me under the bed and he's gonna grab hold of my foot and pull me under. I genuinely thought that's what it was, but I was homeschooled, so who knows? (laughs) It wasn't until I got out from my mom's umbrella, mom, you did great, but got to college and had real professors that I learned what a foothold actually was. You see, I used to take the weekends in college and go rock climbing. Me and my friends would go to Red River Gorge in Kentucky. We'd climb rocks all day. It was great. It was cheap. It was fun. And when you start out, you do something called top rope where the rope is mounted at the top of the cliff. Somebody's holding at the bottom. They're belaying you. You're climbing up. If you fall, you just hang there like a human pinata. You know, no big deal. No harm, no foul. But then we got more advanced and we started sport climbing. Sport climbing is a little different. Now you have a bunch of carabiners on your harness and you climb and there's anchors about every eight feet in the rock face. And you climb up eight feet and you clip in, you clip your rope in. I'm safe for now. Well, I had climbed to the first one, which is about eight feet. And I was almost to the second one, about six feet above the first one I was at. And I was working to get one of my carabiners off and I was struggling. And everybody below me was yelling, foothold, foothold, foothold. And I'm thinking, is the devil gonna get me? You know, because I was still rooted in my childlike thoughts. I didn't really know what they were talking about. I hadn't heard this term. And so I realized, okay, well, I've got my carabiner. I just gotta push up because in rock climbing, Legs go up, arms keep you in. I'm gonna push up, I'm gonna clip this, I'm gonna take a little break, rest, and keep going. When I pushed up, both of my legs went out. Now, I fell six feet to this next anchor, but now I've got a lot of slack in the line, so I fell the rest of the eight to the ground, boom. And I laid there and thought, foothold. Yeah, I learned the hard way, okay? 
But I love the way Webster puts it in his book, The Dictionary. Foothold, a secure position from which further progress can be made. This simplifies everything for me in in this this verse. And in fact, I wanna rewrite the verse if I can do that just for a second and insert this definition because it's super helpful. Don't give the devil a secure position from which further progress can be made. This speaks directly to his method. Don't let the devil place that lie in your brain that further progress can be made from that point. This is what Paul is suggesting to the church, both to fix their unity issues, but also to fix our own personal lives. Now, how can we do this? How can we not give the devil a secure position for more further progress can be made? I don't typically like to do this. I like to stay with one letter, one book to one church, but for the sake of today, because I found it such a pattern that Paul used this principle throughout many letters to many churches, I thought I'd jump around to it a few to kind of build our framework of the principle, if you'll allow that. And so I read this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, another church, and he writes this letter with a similar principle. And I think it speaks really well to how we don't give the devil a foothold in our life. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So the devil's uh, uh, trying to advance on you to plant that lie in you. We demolish it by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Now, oftentimes, naturally, we just try to take every thought captive and make it obedient to us. We make it obedient to us by protecting our pride We make it obedient to us by being able to go with a financial transaction that maybe isn't above the books or maybe we know isn't the best for our future. And so we take those thoughts and we send them into our brain and we twist them around and we make make them our captive and then we figure out, you know what? Yeah, this kind of is okay or fits the right narrative. And we take them captive and never really interrogate them to find out what their intentions are. You see, there is a natural progression to the way that we think And what Paul is doing is he's simply saying, if I can oversimplify it again and say it a different way, Paul's saying we need to think about what we are thinking about. We need to take time and think about what we are thinking about. We need to examine what we feel and determine from that what is actually real. Take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Because here's what we naturally do when we receive a thought. We we receive it, And then once it's in our head, we perceive it. That is, we kind of investigate everything about it. What does this mean about me? What is that look she just gave me? Why did he say it that way? What what does this email mean? And then once we perceive it, we believe it, whether it's true or not. We receive it, we perceive it, we kind of identify what it means, and then we believe it. And then we act upon it. And then we're responsible for the result of it. Paul is rearranging the way that we do this. And he's, he's making it so that we can regain control over the enemy's footholds in our lives. He's saying that once we receive it, we need to research it. And I love this. We need to research the thought that we've received, okay? We need, to, we need to investigate it. We need to take it apart. We need to figure out its origins and its intentions. When somebody looks at you a certain way or talks to you, it, it takes a conversation, Part of researching it is actually getting outside your head and saying, hey, what did you mean by that? Because I'm trying to get to the truth of it. And if, if we find that when we research that thought, we can't tell whether it's true or not, or we get to the point where we realize it's a lie, we need to replace it. 
And so Paul is saying, this is what it means to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. By thinking about what we think about, by researching our thoughts, identifying the ones that are false and replacing them. But what do we replace them with? I'm gonna jump churches and letters one more time. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. And he writes this letter and he makes it really easy for us today. It's almost like a cheat sheet, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway because it's super helpful in identifying what we replace the lies with in our heads. He says, finally, brothers and sisters. Paul is saying, replace those thoughts with these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Now, this true one, just to be clear, this isn't the George Costanza true, okay? When George is teaching Jerry how to lie, he has this final moment where he says, Jerry, remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. That doesn't make it true. And oftentimes we, we think that's true because we believe it so much and we don't go back and investigate it. Whatever is true and can be proven, this is having the conversation. This is getting to the root of the issue. This is going back to the text of scripture and finding out what is actually true. Whatever is noble. This is of having high moral principles or qualities. You know, we heard Andy say throughout the integrity series, doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. This is identifying and being able to put in your head what you ought to do and not just thinking through the cost you part. Whatever is right or innocent is another way to translate that. I love to think about whatever is right or innocent with my kids. It helps slow me down and have more patience with them. When I can take their their disobedience and I can separate it from me feeling like they're being intentionally disrespectful, and I can realize their children and, and, and identify their innocence, it allows me to slow down, and I act differently towards them out of my new self. Whatever's pure, this is whatever is perfect. And if you struggle to find something perfect, I can give you tons of verses that outline how perfect uh, the, the, the love and the grace of God is, and I can start to draw conclusions from those things so you can go, okay, as a believer... There is something perfect in the world. He goes on to say, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'll move through these real quickly because this one, whatever is lovely, husbands in the rooms, men, I often attribute this one to you and say, here's your duty. Go back and for the rest of this week and for the rest of your marriage, only allow yourself to think about your wife as if she's lovely, pleasing. Because here's the deal. You married her for a reason. There was a day that your thoughts toward her were lovely. And I want you to go back, even if you have to rewind to that moment and remind yourself of that. Take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Ladies, I'll give you this one. Whatever is admirable or deserving respect and approval. There was a day when that guy you married, you saw as someone who you respected, I hope, or approved of. But marriage happens and we don't take our thoughts captive and they turn into actions and then results and we find ourselves in a place where it is really hard to have a good thought towards one another and the way we perceive each other is so negative and harsh that if we could take our thoughts captive, find the lies there and replace them with whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, I think we can begin to have different results. Whatever is excellent, this is whatever is good. This is finding gratitude in your day. It's amazing just taking a few minutes every day, sitting down and going, I'm going to force myself to think about what I'm grateful for. Kind of minimizes some of the other stuff you hear in the world, some of the noise that causes dread in your life. Think about whatever is excellent in your life and whatever is praiseworthy. This is admiration. This is what we just did together in worship. What it looks like to think about something praiseworthy is to sit there and go, if I know one thing, 
my God is a deliverer. If I know one thing, my God is gonna see us through. That's what it means to think about whatever is praiseworthy. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And in that moment, you kind of right-size this equation, this fight between this invisible enemy who wants to attack our visible world. And so the lines between thoughts and feelings are blurry. And I'm wanting us to understand that the thoughts that we have are the source of the feelings that we act on. And I want you to understand that the heart is the thing that loves and your mind tells it what things to love. Sometimes we give our heart too much credit or think that it's this driving force of our being and we discredit our mind and our thoughts. But in reality, the heart is the thing that loves and the mind tells it what things to love. What is your mind telling you what to love? What are you struggling to love? And where may be the lie in your thinking that has caused that? Now, I talked about movies and media and TV shows and all of that. I've, I've put a lot of emphasis on thoughts for a second. I'm gonna give you permission to follow your feelings. You know, listen to your heart, go with your gut. You've heard all the expressions. I'm gonna let you follow your feelings for a second. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow your feelings to your thoughts. So those of you who walked in with anger today, I want you to follow that feeling to your thoughts and see if maybe that anger is rooted in an unmet expectation. Those of you who walked in today and felt lonely, I want you to follow those feelings of loneliness to your thoughts and see if maybe it's rooted in a lie that the enemy has placed in your head based on past woundings, not present circumstances. Follow your feelings to your thoughts. And then I want you to research those thoughts. And then I want you to find whatever is untrue about them and I want you to replace it with what Paul gave us in Philippians 4, 8. Here's why. Because the feelings that you think through can lead to a breakthrough. Let me tell you a little history of this, uh, this bottom line that I have here. I threw this out to a bunch of people because breakthrough felt like too big a promise, you know? Breakthrough felt like, I can't tell everybody at North Point if, if they'll think through the feelings that they have, that they'll have this big life discovery, this big breakthrough. And some people were like, yeah, I agree with that. And so I started throwing in all these things that rhyme because that's what we do as speakers. And it kind of lost its flair for me. It lost its intensity. It lost what I was getting at. And I realized something that was happening and something that happens in our life. And so I went right back and I typed breakthrough in there and I said, I'm standing by it and here's why. Because here's what the enemy is gonna wanna do as you begin to think about what you're thinking about, follow your feelings to your thoughts, research them and replace the lies. And you begin to have success in your actions and your relationships are beginning to experience that. The enemy is gonna wanna dumb that down as small as he can. Here's what he wants to do. I want you to hear this because this is what he's doing every second of every day. The enemy wants to steal the validity of your victory to demolish your consistency. The enemy wants to steal the validity of your victory. Play it down. That was nothing, it was a fluke. Yeah, that's just something you do. He wants to steal the validity of your victory to demolish your consistency. Because as human beings, it feels good to do something good. We feel it all, every year at Be Rich, when someone affirms, hey, I really appreciated that, or I noticed this about you today, it feels good and growth begets growth. And the enemy wants to cut it off at the source and go, that was nothing. That was a fluke. And so I'm calling it a breakthrough because it may not be a breakthrough to you, but it might be to the people around you, to the person who's been waiting for you to respond in a loving way. 
It may be a breakthrough for you to begin to change the perception of the people around you. It may be a breakthrough for you to think different thoughts about yourself, which eventually will change your feelings about yourself, which eventually will change your actions. And you begin to break those bad habits and maybe even break addiction in your life. And the temptation will be to not even view it as a breakthrough, just to view it as another day. But the reality is when we set the compass of our life just a few degrees off, and when we're able to change it a few degrees over the course of our life, we can reach new destinations. But the enemy wants to steal that validity of that victory. When I was a kid, high school age, um, I was trying to navigate my future and my career. And I sat down and I told God, God, I'm either gonna go into the military or ministry. And I felt like God said to me, you're 140 pounds, you're safer in a church. (laughs) So here I am. But I always love watching old war movies with my dad. And I like reading about war history and things like that. It just fascinates me. And I came upon recently this um, article about the Navy, specifically about Navy ropes. Some of you may know this, but in the Navy, they have like these really specific engineered ropes that they use that can hold the weight of a Jeep. And there's something really cool that they do to identify their rope and make sure the structural integrity is there. When they make a rope, they'll put a single colored thread in the middle and then they'll begin to wind the rope around that thread so that when it's time to inspect the rope before a mission, they'll tear apart the rope and look and make sure that thread is in the middle. And if that thread is in the middle, they know the structural integrity of the rope is correct. They know that it's safe for use. But if they tear it apart and there's no thread in the middle, they know that it, doesn't, it wasn't made correctly. It doesn't have the structural integrity and it can cost them big if they choose to use it anyway. I read that in preparation for this message and I thought, you know what? That's exactly it. That's what I want you to do this week. When I say the feelings that you think through can lead to a breakthrough, I want you to think through those feelings. I want you to dig through those thoughts and those feelings and get to the center of that thought and see if that thread of truth is there. And if you dig down and you can't find that thread of truth or nobility or admiration, anything that's praiseworthy or excellent, if you can't find it, if it isn't there, just say, you know what? The structural integrity of this thought is not sufficient and drop it. And then I want you to replace it with a thought that has the structural integrity. Because here's the thing. We hang what is most valuable to us on our thoughts. Don't you want it to have some integrity? Don't you want them to have some truth? And when you can place some truth in the middle of that thought and begin to inform your feelings and see your actions change and the result of healthier relationships and a healthier self, when you can do that, you're gonna be inspired to keep going. But in the days that it's tough and the circumstances get worse and you go, God, why is this not getting better? And the enemy comes after you and tries to steal the validity of your victories, cling to what you know is true and trust it. And over time, you will pull yourself out and God will be with you. I wanna recognize one thing. I realize mental health is a completely different subject in here. And I don't wanna get up here and talk and act like I've got a simple principle for you to get out of it. I wanna recognize that. And if that's you and you're just overwhelmed with your thoughts and and you feel like it's too far gone, I would love for you to go to northpoint.org slash care. We've got incredible people who wanna get you pointed in the right direction because sometimes it just takes another person to come alongside the rope and inspect it and go, well, here's the thought that you need to replace. I'd invite you to do that. I wanna give you Paul's uh, final words before we sing together because I think they're really great encouraging things to remember today.
that we are to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Put these things into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So if that's you today and you want peace in your relationships or you want peace with yourself or you want peace with God, take off your old self, put on your new self, follow your feelings to your thoughts, research them, replace the ones that need to go and find truth and cling to it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you offer us truth that's tangible and real, the God that we can read about and that we can cling to. But God, I recognize the challenge it is to replace thoughts that we've had for a while that were given to us by other people that we've received through our experiences. So I'm asking this morning for strength on anybody that can hear my voice. God, that you would encourage them, that your voice would raise up above the enemies, that you would champion every victory, no matter how small they may experience. God, you would lead them to breakthrough. I pray that you would break through in their marriages, their relationships, their self-image, their self-worth. God, you'd break through habits and addiction. You'd break through fear and anxiety and dread. You'd break through anger with your truth. We love you. We honor you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.